what is the Bible really about? Is the Bible basically about me and what I must do? Or is it basically about Jesus and what he has done? When you read in Luke and Acts how Jesus, in those 40 days, uh, got his disciples together, 40 days before he ascended, after he was raised, what was he doing? Basically, he was saying, everything in the Old Testament is about me. He says, the reason you didn't understand what I was about was you didn't realize that everything in the prophets and the Psalms and the, the law was pointing to me. Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and Goliath or basically about him, the one who really took on the, mate, the only giants that can really kill us? And so his victory is imputed to us. Who's it really about? That's the fundamental question. And when that happens, then you start to read the Bible new, you know? Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the, into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wound of grace that wake us up and discipline. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save him. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never looked at a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them, to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. Hey, good morning. Oh, holy moly. Evening. Am I louder than normal? My goodness. Burst one of my own eardrums there. Good to see everybody. First evening service. Good to have you guys. Good to see many of you guys here in person. Those of you watching online, uh, welcome to our first evening gathering to 2021. The video we just watched uh, wanted us to see that because that's why we're in the book of Exodus. That's why we're studying uh, the book of Exodus. We're looking at the books of Exodus and we're looking at how that points to Jesus. That's, that's why we're in this Old Testament book. That's how we're studying it. Uh, we, we are studying it not to 
go over every minutia of the book, but we're looking at how it points to the ultimate freedom that we have because of Jesus. The freedom that the Israelites had coming out of Egypt, God rescued them, uh, points to and foreshadows a greater freedom that you and I get when we trust in Jesus. And so uh, we are still in this book. We're going to be in it until the end of the year. We're still in this book and we're looking at the power, the presence, the people of God, what it means for you and I to be the people of God experience his power, his presence in our lives on a uh, regular basis. Uh, Last week we started going over some of the Old Testament commandments that are a little bit weird and strange and feel irrelevant and and sometimes feel harsh. And and we talked about being a people of justice. That was the theme that we focused on last week. We We talked about how many of the commands that seem weird still have principles that we are to uh, abide by. The application might be different, but the principles are still intact. So for example, we talked about how many of us do not have oxen, and I don't think any of us who have oxen live next to somebody else who has oxen where the oxen gore each other to death. Right? I don't think anybody's experienced that, but there's a principle there. And the principle was basically if you break it, you buy it. You take responsibility for the stuff that you're liable for. Uh, another example, we, we talked about how uh, we don't have indentured servants, but there's principles of how we are to care for the poor, how we are to care for those on the lower socioeconomic uh, uh, strata than us. We talked about principles dealing with the unborn, dealing with uh, justice for women, justice for foreigners. That's what we talked about last week, justice, being a people of justice. Today, we're going to look at and we're going to talk about being a people of celebration, people who celebrate. We're going to be in this one particular passage in Exodus chapter 23. You can turn there if you want, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in verses 14 through 19 look at more obscure passages uh, that make us wonder, uh, are we still called to this? Are we still held to this? Are we still, you know, is this still binding on us? And, and in one sense, the answer is no, we're not to apply these, these, this passage in the same way anymore. But the other side is yes, we are. We are still to be a people who celebrate. We are still to be a people who join with God in celebrating what God has done. God is a God of celebration. God is a God who likes to party. That's why we're having a barbecue in the parking lot afterwards. God's a God who likes to party, who likes to celebrate what he has done, especially as we wander in the wilderness of this broken world that we're in. And we've got all these pressures and all these stresses and all these things that potentially divide us. We are to come together to celebrate, to celebrate who he is and what he has done. This is why Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. If you know the story, maybe you don't. I'll summarize it real briefly, but it's the story of this young uh, father who has two, two sons, and the younger son comes to him and says, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead right now so I can have your inheritance. Can I get it now? And the father gives it to him. He runs off. He spends it. He's a, he does foolish things with it. He comes to the end of, his, of, of, of himself. He ends up... You know, feeding pigs in a trough and he's like what am I doing I got to go home I'm out of money so he decides to go back and say say, dad I'm so sorry can I at least be one of your slaves can I work as one of your servants I know I'm not worthy to be a son anymore and the father sees him coming afar off and the father runs to him wraps his arms around him kisses him and then says let's party let's have a party let's have a feast let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate that my son who was dead is alive again he was lost and he's found And Jesus' point to the religious leaders was that you don't understand God's heart. God is a God who celebrates 
when the lost come home, when sinners repent, when slaves become free, when orphans get adopted into my family, we're going to party. And to be part of his people, we are to come together on a regular basis and party and celebrate who he is and what he has done. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to, to do this. The passage that we're going to look at are commands because God was saying to a people who had been in Egypt, who had been used to being, uh, to working, 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 striving, striving, striving. God was saying to them, I want you to stop and pause and push your work aside and take a time out. It was a command because God knew that they were wired to be slaves, to work, to earn, to strive. We are hardwired as humans to just try to perform. And so uh, God commands this to be, in, tells them to be intentional, which took discipline, and it still takes discipline for you and I. My wife and I just got back from Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago. We went there. We were supposed to go a year ago to celebrate friends of ours' wedding, and it was, it was our 10-year anniversary last year. So we were like, let's combine it, right? This is last year, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> last May of 2020. So it was supposed to be a combined trip. The wedding got postponed because of COVID. Then it got again. So it happened this year. Um, and so we went and we celebrated with them. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary a year and a half later. Um, but it took work and it took discipline to celebrate that. We had to buy tickets for the airfare. We had to, we had to get a hotel. We had to figure out how we were going to get around. We had to make sure my parents could take our kids. We had, we had to plan our work. We had to make sure that we could get, get done and be prepared to be away from work. It was, it, there was a lot of work involved in order to party, right? Took discipline in order to celebrate. And that's what we see here. That's what we see here. God's saying, I want you to take time out and pause. And you and I struggle with that, don't we? Especially in the rat race that we live in. We struggle to celebrate rightly. So we're going to look at passage. And then I'm going to talk about it. So you're, we're going to read it. Just going to read through it. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about it. All right. But let me just pray before we do. Uh, Jesus. I got to believe that you are uh, just so glad that we are able to gather tonight. Your, your word says that the angels look in at, at your people gathering together. And uh, God, we, 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 just, we pray that you're pleased with our gathering tonight, with everything about it. That you're honored, that it's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. I pray that it's, it's, a, it's an evening where we celebrate the freedom that we have because of what you've done on our behalf. I pray for the people who are anxious, who are overwhelmed, tired, overwhelmed, angry, bitter, Hurting, fearful, battling guilt, battling shame. God, break into their hearts tonight with the good news, a reminder of the good news that your kingdom is here and we get to be part of it. In your name, amen. All right, let's read it. Let's read this. 
Three times a year, God says, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Sorry that the words are cut off a little bit. We'll fix that next week, maybe. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest. It's the second festival he talks about. With the first fruits of the crops that you sow in the field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Okay, so we'll stop there. I know some of you guys are like, whoa, I did not understand a lot of that. So we'll try to kind of talk about that. So God's given them three feasts out of seven. The Old Testament talks about seven feasts that they are to observe uh, throughout the year. Seven annual feasts. These are, these, he mentions three. Uh, we're going to talk about some of them, even more than these three we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what they are and then how they point to Jesus, how they're fulfilled in Jesus, and how we get to experience the ultimate meaning of them in Jesus. Uh, remember, the people of, of, of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were used to being slaves. They were used to earning. They were used to working and worrying and stressing uh, and wondering, uh, are, there, are their slave masters pleased with them? Did they meet their quota? So God was saying, ah, you've been freed from all that. You've been freed from all that. I want you to stop. I want you to gather together, and I want you to celebrate. Because doing so, stopping to gather together to gather, stopping to gather together and to celebrate who God is and what he has done is a way that we fight against, we fight against that slave nature in all of us. That slave nature in all of us that feels like we have to perform, we have to do, we have to please. Right? So a stopping to pausing to celebrate is a way we fight against that. Say, no, 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 no. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. So l let's talk, l let's start by talking about the Passover. Even though this passage does not mention the Passover, uh, it, it, it's tied in with the festival of unleavened bread. And, and it's likely that when the people of Israel heard God say to celebrate the festival of uh, unleavened bread, that they also thought of the Passover because they go so closely together. So the Passover, let's start there. The, oh, oh my goodness, sorry. The, the Passover was to be celebrated on the 14th day of Nisan every year moving forward. So just a couple months earlier. Just a couple months earlier, they had been freed from Egypt because God sent this final plague on the Egyptians. And the final plague, if you were with us uh, months ago, uh, the final plague was this plague where God struck down the firstborn male of every household in the land. And Israel was not going to be spared just because they were victims. They were not innocent just because they were victims. They were still Sinners before a holy God, and God said there needs to be an atoning sacrifice. So take a lamb, a lamb without defect, kill it, and its blood is to be put on top of the doorpost. And you are to take shelter under the blood. And as my angel of death comes through the land, it will spare any house that has this blood on it. I know for some of you guys it's like, oh, that's gory stuff. But God was saying blood is demanded. Instead of you being struck down, something has to take your place. A lamb has to take your place. And so they had to take shelter under the blood of a lamb, which they did. And so they were spared. And so God was saying, every year I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that I'm a holy God. 
you are to sacrifice a lamb. You are to remember that that's why you were freed from Egypt, because a sacrifice was made in your place. This was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus, who became the ultimate Passover lamb. John the Baptist said when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist said of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is it. And Jesus lived this perfect life. He was a lamb without spot or wrinkle or defect. He was perfect. And then he was crucified on a Roman cross. He was nailed to a Roman cross. His blood was poured out. And he said, he declared, Tatalis Day, or it is finished, it is paid in full, it is done, the work is complete, no more lambs need to be sacrificed anymore. Because he is the ultimate Passover lamb. The ultimate one whose blood we are to take shelter under. His sacrifice is the ultimate payment for our sins so that we could be declared righteous. We don't take shelter under, in other words, your good deeds, uh, your good grades, your good church attendance. You don't take shelter under those things. You take shelter under the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb. Then the next day, the 15th day of that month, was the festival of unleavened bread, which would start. It was the day after Passover, and it would last seven days, and they were to have no yeast in the house, no leaven. They were to not make any bread with leaven. And, and, and in fact, they had to prepare for it so that when they sacrificed the lamb, there was no yeast in its presence because a holy sacrifice uh, could not be in the presence of yeast, which represented sin, holiness and sin. They could not be mixed. And so they were to, uh, for seven days, have bread without yeast. Uh, it also uh, pointed to how they, they left Egypt in a hurry. They, 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 they left Egypt uh, by making bread without yeast. They had to get out of there. They had to get ready to go. And so God was saying, moving forward, I want you to remember seven days every year, the festival of unleavened bread. Now, how did this point to Jesus? This was fulfilled in Jesus, uh, his burial, when his sinless body Remember, yeast representing sin, his body without sin was put in the tomb on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. It was put in his tomb. His sinless body was put in the tomb. When you and I trust in him, sins are, the Bible says, buried with him in the grave and we become a new creation. We trust in him been buried with him in the tomb. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. Hey, he calls us uh, a, a new batch, an un unleavened batch. He says, your boasting is not good. So he's talking to some uh, believers who are fighting with each other, divided over a lot of stuff. I know y'all don't know anything about that. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's who we are. We're a new batch of bread, unleavened bread. Sins have been buried with Christ when we trust in him. So that's how the Passover and a festival of, of unleavened bread are fulfilled in Jesus. Now let's talk about the festival of first fruits. This is when the people would bring the first and the best of their barley crops in an offering to God. Barley tended to be, I believe, the first crop in the spring harvest. And so as they were coming up, they would go out and they would put a sheath around the, 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 the best crops. And then on this first day, the day of first fruits, they would go out and they would, get, they would actually come together. They would come together corporately and they would get these, these first fruits, these best, and they would come together and they would offer it to God. 
as a sacrifice to him. And it was a way of them declaring their trust that God is going to bring in more crops after these. These are the first, but there's more on their way. These are the first, but there's more coming after. It was a declaration that God's going to provide more. Now, how did this point to Jesus? How was this fulfilled in Jesus? It was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus burst out of the tomb and rose from the dead on the, get this, on the day of first fruits. It was a day of first fruits. The people were gathering the first fruits in the crops, and God the Father brought God the Son out of the grave, and it was like him declaring, here's my best. Here's my one and only Son, my best offered to you as a promise of your future resurrection body. There's more to come, in other words. This is the beginning of a new kingdom, the beginning of new creation. But for all those who trust in him, more are coming. This is why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So he is the fulfillment of the festival of firstfruits. And then the festival of harvest, also commanded in the passage in Exodus that we're looking at. This took place 50 days after the day of firstfruits. Okay, so this was at the end of the spring harvest when the people would come together and they would actually offer two loaves of bread. This time, those two loaves of bread would be made with yeast. With yeast, uh, I believe usually wheat, it was better crop than barley. Um, and they would offer other sacrifices to God from their crops to celebrate God's provision, to celebrate God's provision. But it also looked back at giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So this moment that we're in in Exodus, we're g they're getting all these commands they're actually at the bottom of the mountain, Mount Sinai. And so moving forward, they're going to remember that God gave us the law. God taught us how to live. God showed us how to live as his freed people. Now get this, get this, get this. How is this fulfilled in Jesus? This festival was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus poured out his spirit on the early church 50 days after his death and resurrection bringing in a harvest of new souls. See, this is what happened. So it was also called Pentecost. And people from all over the land would come together in Jerusalem to celebrate the, the, the festival of harvest, right? This was all 50 days after Jesus came out of the tomb, right? And Jesus had told his disciples, wait in the city until the Holy Spirit falls on you. He's going to give you power to be my witnesses. Now, they're, they're there. We actually see in chapter 2, this happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were waiting. And then verse 4 of Acts chapter 2 says, All of them were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, because the city was filled with people from all over, speaking different native languages, they, they hear the disciples supernaturally talking other languages. And they're like, hey, he's talking in my dialect. He's talking in my language. And they're wondering, what's going on here? And Peter stands up and he, and he explains in this powerful sermon who Jesus is and how he rose from the dead and how he's the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises. And then what happened, it says in chapter, or verse 41, those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. In other words, God brought in a harvest. On the, the festival of harvest, God brought in his own harvest, right? 
By the power of his spirit, he brought in his own harvest. And now this feast of harvest, this festival of harvest continues to be fulfilled through the church. That's you and I as the Holy Spirit sends us out into the world in the harvest field to declare this good news that Jesus has won a victory in your place. Jesus has won. Jesus has paid. You can trust in a risen, alive Savior. That's what we get to do. We get to go out into the harvest field because God's still at work gathering in the harvest. All right, one more. One more, one more festival. Uh, the, the festival of ingathering, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Boots, uh, was a seven-day celebration at the end of the fall harvest season. So we're jumping into the fall now. Uh, so this, this took place later on at the, at the end of the, the fall harvest season. Uh, during this time, the people lived in tents as a way of remembering God's provision during their time in the wilderness. Because right now in the book of Exodus, they're wandering in the wilderness. They're, they're in temporary dwellings. God's moving them along. They're not setting up permanent homes. And, and so every year God's saying, I want you to remember this time by, by living in tents, by living in booths called, as a way of rem remembering that once upon a time, the first generation out of Egypt wandered in the wilderness, dwelled in temporary dwellings, and, and I was present. God was present with them. God led them. God was there with them. And, th and they were to remember that every year, every year, he, they were to remember how God provided for them in ways that we've already talked about in this series, turning uh, salt water into good water, bringing water miraculously out of rock. When they were hungry, manna came down from heaven. They were to remember God was with us. God was present. We were freaking out at different times. We got afraid bickering with each other and God kept providing for us and this pointed to Jesus' first coming it was fulfilled in one sense when Jesus came to dwell the other word for dwell is tabernacle in the gospel of John it opens with him saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us the other word for dwelt is tabernacled or set up a tent God came and set up a tent among us in human flesh but it ultimately be fulfilled in his second coming when he's going to come and be with us face to face when heaven comes to earth and we're going to be with him forever. So that's what it celebrates. That's what, how it's fulfilled. Uh, and so you and I, we're like the Israelites were at this time in Exodus. They're wandering the wilderness. God is with them. They've been freed. He's present with them now. But they're longing for that promised land that he's taking them to. And you and I, we're wandering in this wilderness, but God is with us. He's present with us by his spirit, and yet we long for that day when he's going to return, and we're going to be with him face to face. So these are all the things that God was saying to the people of Israel, I want you to celebrate every year, and I believe we should still celebrate all these things, how they're ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We are not commanded to celebrate in the same ways anymore. The application is different. But the principle is still intact. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, 16, Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So all those things are pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus. They're, they're signposts. So Paul's saying, hey, you don't have to make a big deal out of those specific signposts anymore. But you make a big deal out of Jesus being the fulfillment of those things. 
We, you, we, we are to make a big deal, in other words, of how Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf was the Passover lamb. We're to make a big deal out of Christ's sinless body being buried and our sins being buried with him when we trust in him. Christ's resurrection as the first fruits, which point to our future resurrection. We're going to make a big deal out of these things on a regular basis. We're going to make a big deal out of Christ's giving of the Spirit and sending us into the harvest field. He doesn't just tell us to go try to convince other people to believe in him. No, he fills us with his power and says, hey, you go be my witness and you see what happens. You see what happens. You don't have to work and strive and twist people's arms. I'm preparing the harvest for you. We celebrate still his presence with us now and his ultimate presence when he returns in his second coming. We are still to corporately, I believe, not just individually, although individually too, we are to corporately get together on a regular basis and be intentional about celebrating all these things. And I got to be honest with you. I was tempted to not do this one today because it's our first day at Trinity Church, our first evening, and I was like, all right, I want to take a break from Exodus and do something else. But then the more I was like, oh, no, this, this ties in because this is so important. We, we had to push against, you know, the whole morning thing. We're so used to the morning thing, get together in the evening, and we had to change our routines and change our rhythms. And how many people had to turn off football to get here, right? You know, and, and, and now you're going to avoid other people saying, hey, don't tell me the score. I don't want to know until I get home. Like, we have to fight against all these things. We've got kids' activities. All these things we can fight against. And so, man, this is so timely. Because this is, this, this is the, one of the primary ways we are. It's not the only way. And I actually had five points I was going to make at the end of this message, but I deleted slides right before service. Just going to focus on this one. One way, the primary that I, I see in the New Testament, uh, that we are to celebrate this together is on the first day of the week. We see this in the New Testament. We see this pattern of, of the, 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 the disciples uh, meeting early before they went out into the fields to work on the first day of the week because it was the day Jesus burst out of the tomb. They, they, they started to move from the Sabbath day, gathering on the Sabbath day as Jews, to when they trusted in Jesus, first day of the week. They called it the Lord's Day. There's this precedent for it. Even though they were, many of them were working, they would gather before work, they would gather after work, they were making it a priority to say, this was the day that our king started a new created order and we get to be part of that and so on this day we are celebrating that a new day has dawned and we get to be part of that and so i believe that we're still we should still make priority we should still fight against everything else that's pulling at us and talking at us telling us make this a priority we're going to still make this time a priority together and come together to remember what jesus has done for us the freedom we have now, I don't want to get too formulaic and tell you what that should look like and what you need to cut out and the sacrifices and, and all that. I'm, I, we don't want to go there. I, we get into difficult, ter tricky territory. But the other, the other extreme, we've got to avoid as well, which is to go like, oh, well, church is everywhere. I'll just kind of be in church and, you know, while I'm walking my dog. And it's like, not exactly. Yes, you can... You can worship God in that way, but the church is the called out people of God. And we come together. He's called us to be intentional about coming together. And so we, we don't want to get too lax either. My, my family's been working out like, what does this look like with our kids' sports? Because our kids are allowed to do sports on Sundays. But right now, if it's during church time, we're choosing church time. And that's, that's kind of a 
point at which we're deciding, hey, this is the way we're going to make God a priority. Now, there might be exceptions to that general rule at times, for sure. But as a general, we're saying, hey, did, you're gonna, you might miss. And so last week, one, one of our daughters missed her soccer game to, to gather, for us to gather to, to make God a bigger deal because we're part of his kingdom and we want to celebrate that and not get sucked into the kingdom of this world. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. So I heard of another family this week who's, who's raised their kids to, as young adults, tell their jobs not available on Sunday, can't work on Sunday. And so I don't know what it should be for you. I'm not putting any of those things on anybody here. But I am asking the question, what does it mean for you to make our time together on the first day of the week a priority? What sacrifices might you need to make? I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I'm not putting anything on you, okay? But I'm just asking, posing the question, posing the question. What might it mean for you? Uh, and, and I also think eating together is a big part of that. Like communion, like we do the crackers and the juice and stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that but the early church man they had a meal together they had a meal together that's why we're having a meal together today something about food that brings us together that that bonds us that reminds us god has provided this food just like he's provided so many other things so many other things and lastly i want to say about this is that i i I believe um, and, and look at verse 19 of that passage one more time it says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Don't cook a young goat in its yo- mother's milk. That's a strange part. I'll ex- try to explain that in a moment. Um, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil. So God was saying, when you, when you, when you bring the sacrifice, bring your best. Bring your best. Bring, bring, bring a heart that's like full of sincerity and worship and surrender. D- d- don't try to bring some of the, 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 the nasty stuff. Don't bring some of the old, old wheat with the new wheat and try to mix it together so you can save some and dilute it a little bit, which is what some of the, some of the we're tempted to do. Now bring your best. And to not uh, cook a young goat in its mother's milk, um, some scholars believe that it was a pagan practice, and God was saying don't do that. Uh, I, I believe it, spe- it was an idiom of the day, and it was basically saying don't, 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 don't live this new life that I've called you to by mixing in old traditions of your, old, your, your ancestors and the generations before you who didn't know me. Like, don't, don't, like, this is a new day, and I want you to bring a heart full of worship. Don't, 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 don't revert back to the old slave ways of living. You, you bring a full heart of surrender. And we, too, when we gather, man, can I just encourage us to, to, to bring our best? Like, when we sing a song, don't just, like, sit there listening, oh, I don't that song, like sing, bring our best, bring words, verbally, vocal, put them out there. When you're, be, be, pray before you come, because otherwise, don't we annoy each other, right? Can you be honest? Don't, don't you get annoyed sometimes with people in here, right? Pray and say, God, I want to love the people, I want to serve them, I want to listen, I want to be compassionate, I want to have empathy, I don't want to be annoyed, right? We Bring our best together. Be ready to hear God's word. I'm going to take some notes. Not like, let me, let me be on my phone and sort of stop listening and kind of, like, people see that I'm here, but I'm really here. Bring our best. Bring our best. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because the world beats us up. Yeah? Anybody? The world beats us up. The world beats us Any, Anybody been burdened this past week with the pressures of life? Raise your hand. Anybody? You don't have to be, if, you, if not, that's fine. If you've got an easy life, that's cool. We welcome you. Yeah. 
What do you need the most when you're feeling burdened down by the pressures of life? You need the presence of God, right? You need to remember God is present with us, just like he was while the Israelites were wandering. He's present with me right now. And we remember that on the first day of the week. How about anxiety? Anybody been battling anxiety this week over things that are unresolved? You don't know how to fix it? Try to figure it out, anybody? Battled a little bit of that this past week? Yeah, yeah. What do you need most when you're battling anxiety? Do you need to somehow get in control of situations? No, what you need most is to know, to remember that you get to rest in the hands of the God who is in control, all because Jesus made a way for you to rest in his hands. How about shame and guilt? Anybody battle shame and guilt because you screwed up this week? You snapped at somebody, you snapped at your spouse, you have some regret, you wish you didn't say something that you said. Anybody? No? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, st- you still wrestle with that, that issue that you thought you should be over now? You're such and such age and you're still battling it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you need most when you're battling shame and guilt? You, do you need a pat on the back from somebody telling you how you're such a you know, special person? No. Because that only lasts for a moment. What you need most is to remember that the Passover lamb has been sacrificed in your place. And you've been paid for in full. And you've been declared righteous by the God of the universe, regardless of what you do tomorrow. You've been adopted into his family. You're called a beloved son, a beloved daughter. That's what you need the most. And so that's that's why we gather together to remind each other of these things, to sing about these things, to praise him for these things. I wrote this in my journal. I shared it with a couple people this week. I wrote this in my uh, journal. Uh, It's not on the screen. What am I doing? I didn't put it on the screen. I ain't showing you my journal on the screen. I'll just read it to you. I wrote this, my biggest need today and every day is to feel more grateful for my salvation than I feel overwhelmed by unresolved problems. It is to feel more in awe of God's goodness than I feel frustrated over all unmet needs. It is to feel more brokenhearted over the things that break God's heart than I feel anxiety over the things that don't really matter. That's what I need the most. Hit me. When people ask me, can I pray for? Pray for that. Pray for that. So this is why this we are to be a people who celebrate with intentionality in our schedule, our time, our money, our whole lives. We gotta be party people. We gotta make that a priority. We gotta be party people. And I believe the first day of the week, gathering together is a big way we're to do that. I want to end by, by referencing a story from uh, author Larry Crabb, who he, he tells a story in, in his, one of his books about a, a friend he had who grew up down the street from him. Um, and uh, th- this friend, his dinner table was always filled with strife. It was always filled with anger and bitterness. And his father was always snapping at him. If he spilled something, his father would snap at him. And um, down the street from this friend lived a neighbor. And, and, and in that house, this big house, there was always playful banter and laughter coming from out the windows. And so this, 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 this he would finish his dinner with his family, and he would sneak out of his house, and he would go down to this house down the street, and he would sneak under the porch, and he would just listen. He would listen for the playful banter. He would listen to the laughter coming out of that, that house down the street, and he would wish that he was part of that family. And, and in Larry's book, he, he says, imagine that you, just, you were the one. Like, that was you. You were that, that kid growing up in that house of strife and bitterness. 
He said, imagine you were discovered underneath that porch. Imagine the father sent his son out to invite you in to eat at their table. Imagine you were treated as one of the family. Imagine that you accidentally spilled your drink and the father, instead of snapping with anger, laughs and says, bring him another drink and a fresh clean shirt. I want him to enjoy this meal. Larry's point, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. The father wanted us inside his house and so he sent his son out to get us and bring us in. And in a book, another book written by a guy named Mark Buchanan who references that book, he quotes this, and here's a quote I want to end with. He says this, So much of life is literally and figuratively lived with that angry family. Celebration is not just sitting under the porch of that happy family. It's sitting at their table. Celebration is the practice, the practice, the practice. Lifting our eyes from our preoccupation with the work we have to do and the trouble we're in and the money we owe and the reputation we strive to keep to lift our eyes from all that and set them on things above. It's training ourselves in the midst of and in spite of all that might be amiss. Oh, I love that line. Training ourselves in the midst of and in spite of all that might be amiss to see heaven. We celebrate in order to tear back the veil. It's a discipline. It's a holy habit. Ben, why don't you come on up here? So, as we end our first evening service together, we are just going to celebrate with a couple songs, and then we're going to go eat. So can you stand? And uh, I don't want to guilt anybody into this, but can you sing? Can you offer your best? Can you offer your best? <laughs>